All right, if you take your notes out, uh, we didn't quite finish up our study last week, I believe it was, on the names of God. We'll finish up on that, and then we'll start using the notes that you got in your bulletin for tonight. Before any further, just a reminder <clears throat> that we're going to be purging some of the names on the prayer sheet because they've been on there for years. We don't know where they're at, what's going on with them. So if there's some name on there that you want to remain on there, please call the church office and we'll be happy to keep it on there. But some of them, we don't know anything about them and what's going on with them uh, for quite some time. So uh, they won't, this purging probably going to be happening in two or three weeks. So gives you time to look over that and make sure someone of your family can be on, especially on any health. There's so many names on there, we don't have no idea what's going on with them. It's been a long time since that name was placed on there, but yeah, we want to make sure we continue to pray for those that you'd like for us to pray for. All right. Uh, we want to look at uh, from last week's. Let me give you some, some little background first, some background, some re- go over to what we've covered already. We're looking at the names of God in the Old Testament. We began to look at the objective names. There were three names we looked at together. And the first one was Adonai. That's who God is. He's Lord, Master, Ruler. We looked at the word Elohim. That is what God is. He's the creator, the all-powerful one. And then Jehovah. Jehovah is God's personal name. Then we move from objective names to compound names. I'll quickly go over the ones we've covered already. Take up what we left off. Jehovah is used in combination with other names of God to describe different aspects of his character. We looked at the first one was called Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? The Lord will provide. How many are grateful the Lord provides our needs? Jehovah Jireh. Number two was Jehovah Nisi. That is the Lord is my banner. Then we look at Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. How many are grateful the Lord heals? And, of course, we call upon the Jehovah Rapha on Wednesday nights, don't we, that God will bring healing. Then we looked at what was called Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. And we concluded last time we were together, Jehovah Sabaoth, which is the Lord of hosts. But tonight we're going to begin number six. This is left over from last week. Then we'll take up our notes that you're going to have in your bulletin after we finish this, Jehovah Shalom. Anybody know what Shalom means? Peace. Jehovah Shalom is the Lord is our peace. Every Christian understands the peace of God that passes all understanding. But the meaning, again, is the Lord is our peace. Application, God gives his people peace. He defeats our enemies to bring us peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, and he brings inner peace and harmony. That's the application of that word. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3. How many know that verse? It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on thee because he trusted thee. I encourage you to apply that verse. There's so much in our world today that goes on in people's lives that rob us of peace. And Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And so many of our people are going through hard times physically. What a joy it is that we can keep our mind on the Lord and he will give us, give us peace. The next one, let's look at scripture reference. Go with me now to the book of Judges, please. Judges in the Old Testament. We'll actually see the word Jehovah Shalom in Judges chapter 6, please. Again, this is one of the uh, combined, compound words. 
depicting God's character. Our God is a God of peace, and the peace he brings in our lives as his people. Judges chapter 6, please. Verse 23, Judges 6, 23. It said, And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it what? Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace, is our peace. So that was Gideon who did that. He built an altar for God and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Now, if you would please go over to Numbers. Go to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We see another scripture that deals with God giving his people peace. Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. You're probably saying, Pastor, I just found judges. And you're moving already. Numbers chapter 6. Many of the verses we'll have on the screen, so we won't go through them fast. Numbers chapter 6, please. Interest says, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee what? Peace. And here is a prayer for God's people. God will bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and give you peace. That's Jehovah Shalom. Another verse, I believe on the screen, Isaiah 9, 6. Many of you know the verse. Talking about the Lord Jesus, a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the what? The Prince of Peace. Someone said there can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. How true that is in the life of an individual or the life of our society and our community and our our country. How our country has removed Jesus Christ completely. And we wonder why there's no peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of his everlasting covenant. No, sir, that God is a God of peace. Number seven, the next compound word with Jehovah. We saw Jehovah Shalom, now Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema. The meaning of this is the Lord is there, or the Lord is my companion. But more importantly, the Lord is there, Application for that, God's presence is not limited or contained in the tabernacle, the temple, or church building. He dwells personally with and in every Christian. Today, the Bible says the body of the believer is God's what? Temple. So you could say and point it at a Christian and say the Lord is there. The Lord is there. He's dwelling in the body. Our body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God, and the Lord is there. In Psalm 139, maybe you know this verse, I'd like to read it for you. It says, verse 7, David said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Jehovah Shammah. He's everywhere. 
David asked, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And what is the answer? Nowhere. <laughs> because the Lord is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There is not a murmur that he does not hear. There is not a movement he does not see. There is not a motive that he does not know. There is neither death nor darkness nor distance he can hide us. When I am discouraged, his presence sees me. When I am lonely, his presence cheers me up. When I am worried, his presence calms me down. And when I am tempted, his presence helps me out. The Lord is there. Now listen carefully, please. The Bible says God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere. But interesting, the Bible says not only is he everywhere, he lives inside you. He dwells in the body of every Christian. So you could look at the Christian and say the Lord is there. He's everywhere. But specifically, he dwells in the body of a Christian. Go with me now to Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 48, verse 31. We'll see this phrase, Jehovah Shema. But actually, it's translated for us, the Lord is there. Ezekiel 48, please. In verse 31, Ezekiel 48, 31. Now, if you're fairly new to the Bible and don't have a hard time finding the Old Testament books, let me give you a little hint. In the front of your Bible, there is a table of contents. <laughs> Tell you exactly what page it's on. And there are some Bibles that have a little thumb index. You've seen those? When I was in Bible college, they called them cheaters. <laughs> but they're very handy, especially for those first learning the Bible. And so uh, help you to find the Ezekiel 48. Look in verse 31, please. We'll read verse 31, then we'll read verse 35. Verse 31, And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. Verse 35, It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of the city from the day shall be what? The Lord is there in the Hebrew. That is the Lord Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Talking about the new heavens we're going to look at in a moment. But Revelation, let me read this to you. Revelation 21. This is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 48. Ezekiel, uh, Revelation 21, verse 2. And I, John, saw holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a, a bride adorned for her husband. And I beheld, uh, heard a voice, excuse me, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. He shall be his people, and God himself shall dwell them, and the Lord will be there. That's fulfillment of Ezekiel. The new Jerusalem Lord's going to build, and they talk about the name of it is the Lord is there. He's dwelling with his people. Psalm 46, verse 1, I'm going to be on the screen. God is our refuge and strength and a very what? Present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. A very present help because of Jehovah Shammah. He is with us. Present help. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. It goes on to say, For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor what? My friend, that's a promise God has given to us. You know, that promise is like a two-sided corn. It brings great comfort, but also brings great conviction. The comfort it brings us, no matter what we go through, the Lord's always there. 
the hurt, the pain, the heartache we go through. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Great comfort, but also great conviction. Because no matter what you do, where you go, guess who's right there with you? I remember a lady one time, she had a son who was saved at a young age and become very wayward in his teenage years, and he was 18, 19 year old. He'd go out on the weekends and go drinking with his buddies and break the heart of the mother. And she'd complete with him, don't do that, don't do that. And, and in desperation, she said, son, don't you realize when you go to the bar, the Lord will not go with you? My friend, that's not true. If he's saved, guess who would be right there with him? And that's the truth Paul brought to the men who are uh, uh, having affairs with the harlots. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of God. So a Christian even has an affair with a harlot. Guess who's right there with him? Oh, my goodness, what conviction that brings. So no matter what you do, where you go, guess who's right there with you? You cannot flee from God's presence as a Christian. He's not only there because of his omniscience, but he's there because you are a temple of God himself. Number eight, the, eight, the last compound word is Jehovah Tiskanu. Jehovah Tiskanu. The meaning of that word is the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Application, God promised to send a king who will reign, reign wisely and do what is just and right. Jesus is the king who came, who was to come in David's line. And is the one who imparts his righteousness to us. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. Our righteousness comes from God and God alone. Jesus imputes his righteousness to us when we trust him as Savior. And he does that so we can see God. Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, without righteousness, no man can what? See God. And what gives me? The righteousness I need to enter God's presence is faith. Our faith is counted for righteousness. Let me give you a verse here. Jeremiah 23. I think you have the reference. It says in verse 5, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, Israel shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Tiskanu. If you would please go to Romans, please. Romans chapter 3. We'll see the application of this Jehovah Tiskanu in the life of every Christian. Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 21. In the New Testament, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 3, 21. It says, but now the what? The righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no what difference. 
Look up here, please. And someone, many people say, you've got to be good to go to heaven. I always ask, how good do you got to be? And the Bible says you have to be as righteous, as perfect as God in his presence. He said, Pastor, it leaves us all out. Yes, it does. The only way we can obtain that righteousness is if God himself gives it to us. And when you place your faith in Christ as Savior, the Bible says your faith is counted as righteousness. In the latter part of this verse, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all. In other words, God offers his righteousness unto everybody. But it's only upon those which believe. If you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ as Savior, you will not enter the presence of God without his righteousness. And he offers it unto you. And when you believe, he places it upon you. And that becomes the believer becomes as righteous as God in the sight of God because of our faith in Christ. Many of you know 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, to my God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made, what? The righteousness of God in him. That's what God does for us. All right, letter C. We move now from the compound names to the descriptive names. The descriptive name, the following names of God are based on God's attributes. You get your notes out from your uh, prayer sheet, please. The descriptive names, again, the following names are based upon God's attributes. Overall, they outline God's qualities based on his actions in biblical history. So this is the first, number one, write down the word avenging. Avenging. Our God is avenging God. Number one, avenging. Again, this is a word describing our God. It's not really a name he holds, but one that describes him. The meaning is to vindicate, to retaliate, to punish. The meaning of avenging means to vindicate, retaliate, or to punish. The application, God's vengeance is related to his power as judge, his just nature, and his jealousy for his people. God's vengeance is related to his power as judge, his just nature, his jealousy for his people. God's vengeance is usually directed toward the enemies of his people, but it's also directed toward his people when they break his covenant. Let me say that again. God's vengeance is usually directed toward the enemies of his people, but it is also directed toward his people when they break his covenant. Let's look at scripture together. Go now to Psalm 94, please. Psalm 94. It talks about our God as the God of vengeance. Psalm 94, please. In verse 1, Psalm 94, verse 1. In verse 1, it says, O Lord God, whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself, and thou judge the earth, and render a reward to the proud. So here it talks about God who brings vengeance. 
judgment, punishment upon the proud. Nahum, a verse I can read to you. I think it'll be on the screen there. Again, talks about God as the one who brings vengeance. Nahum 1 verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is the furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserveth wrath for his, what? Enemies. Talking about the avenging God, describing his, uh, uh, who he is. Number one, I mean, first of all, give me some God's vengeance directed toward his enemies of his people. God's vengeance directed towards the enemies of his people. Let me just read the scripture to you for sake of time. Ezekiel 25. In verse 12, it says, Thus saith the Lord God, because that Enam hath dealt against the house of Judah, talking about God's people, by taking vengeance and hath greatly offended and revenged himself upon them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand upon Edom, will cut off man and beast from it. I will make desolate from Teman, and they uh, of Dedan shall fall by the sword. Verse 14, I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall uh, do to Edom according to mine anger, according to my fury. They shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord. So here God brings vengeance upon Edom by, through his own people, Israel. Israel destroyed Edom. But they were delivering God's vengeance upon them. Number two there. Here's God's vengeance directed toward his people. When they break his covenant, we saw, first of all, God's vengeance against God's enemies. But there's time when God brings vengeance upon his people. Israel, when they break his covenant. I believe the covenant there is the Mosaic covenant because Israel entered a covenant with God. And they said, we will obey his covenant. We'll do what he says. And when they broke his covenant, God brought vengeance. It says in Leviticus 26, if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. He goes on to say there, I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Here God brings vengeance upon his people because they break his covenant. Again, punishment. Vengeance from God is not a sense of an uncontrolled vindictiveness, but a sense of just retribution by the eternal judge for trespass against his law. Now, number three, as we want to apply to us today. Number three there is God's people are not to avenge themselves. God's people are not to avenge themselves. If you would turn with me to Romans 12, please. Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. We're going to see the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Romans chapter 12, please, verse 17. So many believers, when they're hurt, when they're done wrong, when they're done dirty, they seek to get even. You ever heard the phrase, don't get mad, get what? Even. That's a worldly phrase, not biblical at all, but many believers practice that. Even Christians suffer hurt, harm from people, sometimes innocently. 
They did nothing wrong, but people do them wrong in spite of that. In verse 17, Romans 12, 17, it says, Recompense to no man evil for what? Evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, here's the verse. Dearly beloved, speaking to Christians, avenge not who? Yourselves. But rather... Give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Verse 20, Therefore, since vengeance is the Lord, therefore, if thy enemy hunger, what's it say? Let him starve. Did it say that? Oh, I misread that. It says, Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Basically, what Christian, my friend, what you're saying here, when someone hurts you, does you dirty, and, and you've done anything wrong, but they hurt you and hurt you bad, our flesh wants to get even. Our flesh wants to, let, wants to punish. Our flesh wants to retaliate for them doing us wrong. But God says, avenge not yourself. He goes on to say, but rather give place unto wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. You realize God cares when someone hurts you? When they hurt you, my friend, they hurt God. Because you belong to him. And God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So basically, if you take vengeance, God will not. But how many believe God can do a better job than you can? So, he, <laughs> so Lord, if someone hurts you, Lord, you take care of them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to do them good, even though they've done me dirty. My enemy hunger, I'm going to feed him. If he's thirsty, I'll give him drink. But Lord, you get him. <laughs> you take care of him. And by the way, he will. The thing is, he may not do it in your timing. We want God to get him now. <laughs> but God is patient. God wants to use uh, this to bring them to Christ. But he will take vengeance in your behalf. Number two, the second word, and we're going to stop with this one because the time is just about gone. The second a, a name given to the Lord, depicting his character, is the word terrible. The word terrible. You say that the, Lord, the Bible calls the Lord terrible? And what does that mean? Meaning is to fear, to be afraid, to stand in awe, to honor and respect. The meaning of the Lord is to, the meaning of the word terrible is means to fear, to be afraid, to stand in awe, honor and respect. The Hebrew word literally means to fear, describes a God who demands reverence. This is basically our respect towards him, our fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. So the application of this, the idea of the word terrible does not mean there is something harsh or severe or stern in his character. The meaning is he's worthy of profound reverence or adoration. I think sometimes even Christians kind of uh, uh, irreverent toward God. You ever heard someone say, I'm going to talk to the man upstairs? My friend, God's not the man upstairs. He's a holy God in heaven. And we need to give some reverence and respect to who he is. And by the way, 
You know, here at First Baptist Church on Sundays, when we read Scripture together, what do we do? We stand. Why do we stand? Because he's worthy, showing respect and honor toward him. And um, in Deuteronomy 7, 21, let me read it for you. Scripture reference. Thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God, a terrible God. Scripture refers to him as terrible. Nehemiah 1.5 And said, I beseech thee, this is Nehemiah praying, O Lord God of heaven, a great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy to them, that love him and observe his commandments. So twice we see because many other times he's referred to as terrible. Daniel 9.4 said, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, great and dreadful, that's the same word as terrible, God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and them that keep his commandments. So basically the word terrible refers to God that's worthy of respect and honor and reverence. And uh, we should fear him as his people. Let's stop right there. It's time for us to conclude. We'll finish up on hopefully these next week. Let me ask you. When people around you, do they, do they see in you reverence and respect toward the God of the Bible? Uh, sometimes I think people show disrespect to the word of God. They take the Bible and throw it across the room, throw it on something. Do you have any respect for God's word, the Bible? How about God himself? And I encourage you to show reverence when you pray to him. Let's bow together, please. Dear Father in heaven, you are worthy of our respect, worthy of our admiration, our reverence, and our adoration. Because the Bible calls you a great God, a terrible God one worthy of our reverence. And I pray that we'd always show that towards you. And when we pray to you, when we talk to others about you, we would show a reverence toward you. We're grateful for the God that you are and the God that you, uh, that sent your son to die on the cross to pay for our sin, that we might have a relationship with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.